Good afternoon and welcome to this very special edition of the Conservatarian Exchange on the Liberty Block, during which we hope to discuss the recent Supreme Court decisions that are causing such a ruckus around the country. As always, we're honored to have Ed Maslish on, our legal correspondent, who we will ask to explain a little bit of his understanding, especially of the Dobbs decision, and then we'll take it from there. Go ahead, Ed. Well, uh, we had two big decisions this week. One was the Dobbs decision that you referenced, which sends the decision, the question of whether abortion restrictions can stand, it sends them to the states. It says the Supreme Court will not disturb any restrictions or pretty much any restrictions that a state might impose. Um, it doesn't ban abortion anywhere and it doesn't require abortion to be legal anywhere. It just sends the decision to the state legislatures. Um, the other decision was the New York gun case, which struck down New York's concealed carry uh, licensing regime. Uh, the court said that you have a constitutional right that's been established in the Heller case and the McDonald versus city of Chicago case. You have a personal individual right to own a firearm, to use it for self-defense in the home, and that there's no textual or other reason to distinguish between having that right in the home and having that right outside the home. You have the right everywhere you go, uh, and that New York's requirement that anyone applying for a concealed carry permit have to show some special circumstance uh, that gives you reason for needing firearm protection that's different from the general community's need, uh, that, that licensing requirement was unconstitutional and granted discretion, unconstitutional discretion to the licensors. Those are, that's a summary of the two decisions. Okay, I guess we'll focus more on Dobbs. We could definitely spend like 12 hours on each of these. Um, what if anything was surprising about the Dobbs decision? I know that there was some difference between what Clarence Thomas said about how this may affect other things versus others. And I'm also curious your opinion on the uh, John Roberts, uh, how should I put it, chickening out or whatever. So let's we'll start with that. Tempting to split the baby. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, in very uh, anti-Solomonic fashion. He was literally willing to split the baby, even if it killed it. Um, uh, was there anything surprising? No, not really. I, I, I expected this decision to go the way it did. Uh, I guess the only thing that the only thing that really surprised me in the in the opinions was that nobody made any reference to the leak that came out of Alito's opinion a couple months ago. Uh, I thought somebody would at least acknowledge it. Um, I thought the entire court should have acknowledged it at some point. Um, and you know, regardless of how you came out on the decision, I expected the, the nine justices to say, well, I shouldn't say I expected, but I was at least hoping that the justices would say that it was inappropriate and that they condemned whoever the leaker was and that uh, outside efforts to try and intimidate the court would be re rejected. Uh, I was disappointed that nobody said that, um, and I was equally disappointed on the majority side and the minority side. Uh, I don't hold anyone to greater or lesser account for that. Um, as far as the, the reasoning of the opinions go, um, they all had their own merit. Um, I think Roberts is correct that 
They do tend to try and decide cases on the most narrow grounds possible, which is all he was trying to say. But I don't really see how you could avoid the constitutional issues in the case the way he was trying to. Um, I thought Kavanaugh's opinion was actually pretty concise and really to the point. I mean, Kavanaugh's opinion was basically, we're not deciding anything here. All we're saying is we don't have the power to decide and it's up to state legislatures. And I I thought that that was, that was a well-put, well-stated opinion. Um, I think on an intellectual level, Clarence Thomas's decision, his concurrence was, um, was probably correct intellectually. Um, substantive due process is, is, I think I agree with him and that it's an oxymoron. Due so process- let me interrupt you because that was the question I was just about to ask you. Can uh, you explain to us lay folk exactly what that is, what it's purported to be and why it's not? In lay person's terms, both the 14th Amendment and the Fifth Amendment of the federal constitution contain a a provision that states that uh, no person may be deprived of life or liberty without due process of law. And the Fifth Amendment was originally written against the federal government. The 14th Amendment was passed in 1868 and applied against the states. But no person may be deprived of life or liberty, life or liberty, life, liberty or property without due process of law. Um, Due process of law contains the term process, which to me and to Clarence Thomas means that it's a procedural device. It's a procedural term. It doesn't refer to substantive rights. Substantive due process looks to the first part of that phrase that no person may be deprived of life, liberty, or property and says, well, there's a substantive component to what you get due process for. It's not enough just that that the legislature creates a process and follows its procedures. Uh, there are other things that the legislature can't touch. Um, and that's basically what substantive due process is supposed to be. Um, Clarence Thomas doesn't say, but he intimates that maybe due pro- the substantive due process jurisprudence belongs in the privileges and immunities clause of the 14th Amendment and of the original constitution, maybe. Um, I think this, at least an academic argument for that. Um, I, I know that uh, we privately had a discussion about whether the Ninth Amendment would apply. I, I kind of think it would come from the Ninth Amendment. Uh, I do think the Ninth Amendment can be applied to the states. Um, how it would apply, though, would be a pretty difficult and intricate question. Um, and one that I haven't really, you know, I haven't written a long paper explaining it, but the Ninth Amendment says, uh, and I think I know it by heart, it says, the enumeration of certain rights in the Constitution shall not be construed to deny or disparage other rights retained by the people, which to me me directly and 100% contradicts the conservative argument that if you, if there's no right to, if abortion is not mentioned in the Constitution, it's not a right. Uh, to me, if you're going to be a textualist and an originalist, I don't see how you can square that assertion with what the Ninth Amendment plainly but, says. But, but the, the, ninth, the Ninth, the purpose of the Ninth is to reaffirm enumerated powers, right? So it, it's still up to the states and the people to decide what those other rights are. 
Um, I don't think so. I don't I don't agree with either of those contentions. I think the purpose of the Ninth Amendment was was actually made pretty explicit. And it was that some of the people, some of the anti-federalists who objected to the Constitution and even objected to a Bill of Rights made the case that, well, if you list if you make a list of rights, you know, for instance, the First Amendment says you have the right to free speech. We have the right to peaceably assemble. We have the right to freedom of religion. We have the right to exercise our religion. Uh there's a right to freedom of the press. Uh, there's a right to redress of grievances. Okay. The second amendment says we have a right to keep and bear arms. Right. Fourth amendment, right against search and seizure, unreasonable searches and seizures. It's, there are other rights that are enumerated in the bill of rights. And there were people who said, well, once you start listing rights, if you forget something, somebody's going to make the argument, well, you didn't include that right. So therefore you don't have it. And that is exactly what the anti-abortion argument is. Now, I'm not saying that abortion necessarily should be a right. I'm just and saying- I, and I don't know if I want to spend the whole time debating that, but the way I look at it, that means I have a right to take heroin. I have a right to murder somebody because the constitution doesn't take away that right. And that's absurd. I think heroin and, and murder are two different things because murder necessarily means that you're harming another person. Uh, according to most people, so does abortion. Not most, according to many, so does abortion. And for many, sure, I have a right to difference. take drugs. Mm-hmm. To say the, um, that everything not listed is therefore given to me a right, which would come to absurd. The issue, the, the issue is the Constitution is a contract between the states. And when they signed up to this contract, there was a common public meaning to the document. And they wanted to prevent the uh, federal government from doing anything other than the, yep. you know, explicit powers. Now, what pro- the problem came in was after the Civil War, when they passed the Civil Rights Act of 1866, the court struck that down. The purpose of that act was to try to enforce um, equality uh, before the law onto the freed black slaves. And so to overturn that decision, the people passed the 14th Amendment. The 14th Amendment had a number of sections, but one of them, uh, Ed quoted earlier, is the, um, you know, life, liberty, or property without due process law, and not to abridge the, the they use the term privileges or immunities, but it's essentially the rights. And so the question is, you know, when the Constitution was ratified or when the 14th Amendment was ratified, what was the common public understanding of the rights that are now, the, the power that's now given to Congress to enforce upon the states uh, the, the rights of the people? And that's a really hard problem because the states had always been um, understood to have both broad police powers and, um, and to be able to enforce public morals. Now, the four of us may say, enforce uh, public morals, the states can't enforce public morals. But yeah, that's our opinion. But that's not the common public understanding of the time when this particular contract was, was ratified. And so, okay, so what, what did the 14th Amendment do? And that is a really hard question. I mean, well, I we know what it certainly did. We know what it certainly did. It's like black people, freedmen, Black people have to have a right to a fair trial, no excessive bail, right to keep and bear arms was particularly important because the first thing the uh, Southerners did was to uh, prevent uh, freedmen from getting uh, firearms, freedom of speech and whatnot. But did it, does it mean that 
the states no longer have police powers? And does it mean the states no longer have the right to enforce public morals? I that was I not. Think, the I don't think it means that, but I do think that it overthrew the original intent of the Constitution. And when you know you and I have debated the, the Ninth Amendment and whether it can apply to the states, um, it applies through the Fourteenth Amendment. But I I I do agree with your objection that that it's basically it's it an absolute prohibition. It's an absolute prohibition on the federal government. It, I, in my view, it's an absolute prohibition on the federal government from doing anything yeah. more. Than what's enumerated, but then you go to apply that to the states, and, and then it, then it's like, well, then they right. wouldn't have any police powers at all, you know. So it's I, I don't quite I, I know agree how with you to on square that. that circle. But and I think that's just a that's a problem with the Fourteenth Amendment. The the writers of the Fourteenth Amendment were not as smart as the guys who met in Philadelphia in 1787, and yeah. they wrote something that I think created a gigantic hole in our government and. I don't think it's any coincidence that all of these decisions like gay marriage and abortion and uh, I think all these decisions are coming through the 14th Amendment. And I don't think that's an accident. Well, I, I one of the you know, of course, I have a lot of uh, pro-abortion friends and um, their argument is this. I think people have a right to abortion. Therefore, the Constitution says people have a right to abortion. And I I I try to be nice to them, because I, I think that, you know, they're they're arguing in good faith, but that's not how contracts work. You know, uh, contracts is like, are, what does it say? And um, well, actually, you know, contracts, well, by whatever judges say they say they. Don't well, what, what's within sense. the four corners of the of the contract and in a contract that was written 200 years ago, or 150 years ago, it's the common public understanding of the contract. Again, I'm going to go well, back to what I said. Yeah. My father was a contract lawyer, a judge. Contracts yeah. mean whatever the judge says it says, period. Contracts can only be enforced by courts, and the courts can say whatever they feel like, point being substantive. Now, I'm looking at the uh, definitions. I do. One more, one more thing, Stephen, yeah. I'll let you go. And that is that um, I, I, I don't think any of us disagrees that the 14th Amendment gives the Congress the power to pass a law enforcing certain unenumerated rights on the state government, including, for example, uh, the right to abortion you know, for all nine months or nine months plus a week, as Nancy Pelosi wants. And so the Congress, controlled by the Democrats and a Democratic president, could tomorrow pass a law basically enforcing uh, abortion rights throughout the entire country. And not only are they not going to do that, but they're not even going to try to do that. And it's not just because of the you know, filibuster. It's because they know they can't get even 50 votes to vote for a law um, that that allows, uh, that enforces well, abortion rights. Well, listen, if I they were to try and do that, Ed, that would destroy, that would destroy, or it wouldn't destroy, but it would recognize the utter and complete destruction of the enumerated powers doctrine. If they can say that they're going to pass something as a token of enforcing your right to your civil rights under the 14th Amendment, there is no limitation on what would be a civil right. And all the objections that conservatives are having to judges creating these new rights would, would apply with even stronger force to Congress using Section 5 of the 14th Amendment to pass whatever it wants. I mean, you would no longer have an enumerated powers doctrine. I, I just don't. 
So I don't I, agree I, with I, you on I, that. I, well, I mean, I, I'm trying to go back to what I've read about the original public meaning of the 14th Amendment. And that that's what it meant because it was passed by the radical Republicans. And what it meant was the Congress dominates the states when it comes to civil rights. So I I mean, I I don't I, I don't think it would be good necessarily. So I agree with you on that sense, but I, I don't they pass. Think it would be- what wouldn't be a civil right? What, what, what couldn't they pass? Well, for instance, they could have passed gay marriage if they wanted to. But they, they could, could have done anything. Yeah, this is like a general I mean, welfare clause. This, that would be your general police power for the federal government. And I have a feeling that that's what the radical Republicans meant when they, I mean, I, I've read some, I'm not a scholar, of course, but I've read some on the 14th Amendment. I think that's what they had in mind. But well, which, with respect to the ninth, I mean, I had shared with you guys a, a blog post from the Tenth Amendment. Center. The author is talking about what was really meant by the word right in the Ninth Amendment. And he argues that it really means power. So he says a key to reading the Ninth and Tenth Amendments properly is to know the founding. The founding generation often used the words right and power interchangeably. We more rarely do the same as when we refer to the president's right to veto a bill. That is how they were used here. If you sometimes read the word rights in the Ninth Amendment as powers and powers in the Tenth Amendment as rights, you can better understand their meaning. So- see, I don't see it that way, Mike. To me, I see it as the framers felt like the states had general power and the states could pretty much do what they wanted. And they were only afraid of federal power. And they were trying to make sure that the federal government couldn't, do, couldn't, couldn't take action. And the Ninth Amendment, as Ed mentioned correctly, was designed as a further limit on federal action. The problem is when it try when we try and apply it to the states. I, I mean, I think that textually, the for, the Bill of Rights. I don't think you can selectively incorporate the Bill of Rights against the states. Either it does or it doesn't, and I think it does. And I think the Ninth is part of the Bill of, of Bill of Rights. Yeah, that's the issue, though. I mean, obviously, you can't. Um, you can't apply the 10th amendment to the states, right? Because that doesn't make any textual sense. No, and my sense. argument is you can apply one through eight to the states, but you can't apply nine to, and 10. That's my I argument. agree with you. Yeah, I agree with that. I think you can apply nine. I just don't think it makes a whole lot of sense. It's a, an unwise <laughs> policy, but I just, I, I mean, I have some pro- major problems with the 14th amendment. I think that the 14th amendment was well-intentioned, but was a mistake. And I think I mean, I know there are, I know there are members of our uh, little community here on the podcast who would rather do away with you know the entire federal government and the federal constitution at all and let the states you know completely go on their way. So I mean, I think there's the moral aspect of it. Like, what do we believe individuals are the moral aspect of the abortion issue? There's certain practical considerations, biological considerations. And then there's the legal and historical ones. And the problem is with the pro-abortion people I've been having flame wars on Twitter with the last few days is it's all combined into one. It's one big man. And they, they are in a, unable to distinguish between what they believe are the moral aspects, practical aspects, biological aspects, the legal aspects, and the historical aspects. And, it, it, and the whole point of, I think, scholarship on this issue is to be able to, to detach your own view of morality and, and try to understand the, the law and the history as they were, they were actually written to try and understand where Alito and the justices were coming from. Um, and if you read the dissents, 
the descents, again, have all five of these sort of areas all mushed into one. And it's like, oh my God, uh, women have a right uh, to their own body. So the constitution must say that. And that, that's the, just, that's just wrong. If you read the, well, see, I, I don't just, dis, I don't disagree with that part of the dissent. And I think if you read the dissent and you ask the dissent, okay, well, what about vaccine mandates? Why did you vote the way you did in the, in the vaccine mandate cases? If we have a right to bodily integrity, if we have a right yeah. to decide what goes on in our bodies, how in God's name did you vote the way you did? So they're obviously being just as even more disingenuous than they're accusing the majority of being. I think they're both being disingenuous. And I would be not just sympathetic. I would agree with the with the dissent had they voted the same way in the vaccine mandate cases. But they they didn't. And so to me, this is a purely political decision on their part. And, you know, that I. I think that we do have a right to bodily integrity. And I think the court was wrong on the vaccine mandate cases. Even in striking down the OSHA mandate case, we talked about it. We had a, a special podcast about that. And I specifically mentioned all they did was talk about who had the proper authority to, to tell us what to do. And nobody stood up and said, you have a right to bodily integrity. And you don't. no one gets to tell you what to do. And, and what's funny is, or not funny, but I mean, the, the dissent cites the Casey decision at pages 847, 49, and 851. And I, I know those by heart because I cited those, those pages myself in cases I submitted to judges that turned out to be Obama appointees. And they couldn't care less about the bodily integrity argument, could not have cared less, were not swayed, were not moved, didn't care. And to me, if, if you're going to force a needle in my, in my arm, don't tell me that I can't tell you to let nature run its course. I mean, it, pregnancy is, is far less intrusive than a foreign substance that that's being injected into my body and hasn't even been proven. It's still an experimental stage. And, but even if it weren't an experimental stage, injecting a foreign substance into my body is a much greater intrusion than having a fetus or something that's already by nature in your body continue to grow. It's just, what, it's what is, see, that? what is the role of judges, right? Are judges philosopher kings or are judges uh, uh, trying to understand what this contract means, this, this four corners of the constitution and apply it to individual cases? If they're philosopher kings, then my view would be obviously um, the bodily integrity argument is 100% dominant. And so I would, I would agree to you both in, the, in, in both of the cases, but I, you know, if you if you look at um, you know the legal historical precedent, um, there is no legal historical precedent for considering abortion to be a fundamental human right um, in in either the English you know glorious revolution, post glorious revolution tradition, or the American tradition. And I, I just I, I don't see how a judge can insert his own philosopher king viewpoint into that if he's going to be a judge rather than a philosopher king. I, I agree with almost everything you said, except that I don't agree that that it's correct to identify it as a contract between the states and the federal government. I think if you look back at the founding generation, it was a it was a compact not just between the states and the federal government, but the people and the and the, the states and the people. I mean, that's why the Tenth Amendment at the end says reserved to the states or to the people. The Tenth Amendment does not just stop at, the, at states. The people were always a part of the original Constitution. 
and to ignore their um, standing and status as, as members of that contract, I think is not, it's not correct. I mean, I don't know how you, you know, where it takes you, but um, it's yeah, not those people what, aren't around anymore. That's yeah, the you know, I really hate to get into the contract argument because no contracts binding 200 years later, that just, the whole thing in contract understanding is absurd. You cannot bind your great, 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 great grandchildren to any agreement you made in any other place. Um, I have a question. So whatever this substantive thing is, and it was invented, mm -hmm. and apparently now it's gone. What it's right does it No, no, Tom, Thomas said, Thomas said he wanted to throw it away. Okay. All the other just- Yeah, Tom, whatever Thomas it means, it was invented. Before it was invented and after it was invented, what right does any state government have to tell me I can't drink alcohol until I'm a certain age? Or I can't smoke until I'm a certain age. Well, philosophically, I agree with you. They don't have no. Not philosophically. If I have all these rights that are protected by the Constitution by the substantive due process, what gives them the right to regulate any of those things? Uh, well, that goes back powers to powers for health and morals. Yeah, well, that goes back to the well. Then Lockner, that's for sure. Lockner. Powers for abortion. There's no difference between abortion and drinking alcohol. Okay, they're both the state telling me what everybody. Everybody hates the Lochner cases except me, for instance. But the Lochner cases uh, was um, uh, a state, I think it was Louisiana, I don't really remember. New York. But, uh, New York limited the New hours. York. Yeah, limited the hours that a, a person, yeah, bakers could work to like 12 or something. I don't know. Whatever it was, does, the details don't matter. And the court struck down that law and said it's unconstitutional because it basically interfered to the right of contract. Now, the right of contract was understood under the original Constitution to be one of the fundamental rights of people. And if somebody wanted to sign a contract to work 16 hours a day, the baker wanted, then that's a right of contract. And the, um, the Lochner case overthrew that. Uh, um, oh, the Lochner case upheld. Was, uh, upheld, upheld. Lochner said you have the right to decide to decide what contract you want. And then it was over. Then it was overthrown by the Supreme Court later. Yeah, right. well, it right. has to be because minimum wages, for some reason, are right. And, and all, all of that. And so the, the idea is, well, if the right to contract is not part of the Ninth Amendment, which is what Lock, the thing that overthrew Lochner said, the then, West Parish you know, case that they cite throughout the, the opinion. Right. And uh, but see, I I think Lochner's right. I think the there is a fundamental right to contract, and I think it is protected by the Ninth Amendment. And if you're going to apply that to the states, which is what the 14th Amendment is allegedly doing, then, yeah, you, the federal government can strike down a minimum, the state minimum wage law, state maximum hours law, a state, any, any of those way, laws. I not right. well, those, are different, for labor, those are different propositions, though, Ed. What? What, Steve? When you, when you say you can't work for any wage you want or you can't work any hours you want, you are denying property without due process. Now, I know lawyers can argue that in circles, and that's all very nice, but you're taking away my right to make a living. Steve, start with, your, start with your initial question of the hour. What does due process mean? If they pass the law and they follow their procedures, what, what due process has been violated? Due process well, I mean, I think, has been violated. My rights to life and liberty have been violated. And well, no, I think I think the original thing of due process was not so much the legislative process, but the judicial process. You're not allowed to take people's both. homes, homes unless they're, but, or throw unless them in jail the unless they're criminals. Right. Due process means what it means. Everything else I think was invented out of, what do you call it? 
But how does but how does the judge decide what process to follow by what the legislature decides? by what the legislator says? Okay, or what the Constitution says in the case of a jury trial. And by the way, we don't, we don't have any due process. I think I'll just write a whole book about that. We don't have any due. So what did substantive what did substantive expand from what was the due process understanding until that point in time? Well, they're, they're, they're using it to justify any other rights that they claim on the left. It's like they have a broad view. It's a living, breathing constitution. That's kind of the way I, I see it. So going back oh. to the alcohol question. No, I think, is, I think, well, well alcohol is different because there are constitutional amendments that say state uh, when they repeal prohibition they put in a clause that says states can do whatever they want with alcohol regulation so that's right. not i mean you could say that in, in my view in your view in all of our views okay the so government has pot? no right the government has no right to pot? Pot. but cannabis but, yeah because that's not in that amendment if i'm not mistaken that's right. cannabis yeah. what right do they have to say i can't use cannabis because it is, but again, what changed when they invented substantive? That there were rights that were not enumerated that they would try and protect and that they would deem, that they would deem fundamental. And if you read the, the gun case and you read Thomas's opinion going through how uh, the right to own a firearm and to the right to use it in self-defense is a, is a right deeply grounded in our civilizational history. That's basically what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to look and see, is this alleged right something that's grounded in the nation's traditions? That's what they're supposed to do. Um, whether they do it or not, I mean, is subject to disagreement. I mean, abortion wasn't recognized as a right before the middle of the 20th century. Uh, gay marriage wasn't recognized as a right until the 21st century. Um, oh. Let me ask a stupid question. I always have stupid questions. Who, who decides now what those other unenumerated rights are? Can it be the federal government, the state governments, the people, or all of the above? Well, states can always protect the rights of their citizens, right? But I think in this particular case, I think it's the federal Congress and the federal courts who decide what those unenumerated rights are. I mean, that's one of the flaws of the Constitution, right? The federal government gets to judge its own acts as constitutional. And, uh, you know, that's Mark Levin had a, well, you know, part of his book was to take that power out of the. Uh, Mike, let me ask you, let me, let me ask you this and, uh, to try and draw out your question. Suppose that, this, that, this, that Phil Murphy and, and the New Jersey legislature pass a law saying that every citizen of New Jersey must take the vaccines. Mm -hmm. Do you think that you properly have a cause of action in federal court to make them to, to stop them? Are your rights violated by that? I would think so. I mean, that's that's my, my feeling. Yes or no. I mean, I think the answer is yes. But based on what? Based on Fifth Amendment life. Well, the Fifth Amendment goes to the to the federal government. The, you'd, you'd be talking about the same Fourteenth Amendment that we're talking this about. Goes back, this goes back to your bodily. By the way, we keep pretending argument. that there are no constitutions in states, and I don't know why we do that. Well, I mean, we start getting into vaccines. There are vaccines that we we take. I mean, has anybody read the New Jersey Constitution lately? <laughs> read the Virginia uh, from, one. from time I mean, to time. 
from time to time. From time, time to time. And, and most of the time, the state constitutions protect more than the federal. More than the federal. So why we keep saying we need the 14th Amendment when half the time we don't even need it. Well, but I, but I'm just saying you, you, you would need it to get into federal court and get a federal court to enjoin it. OK, but in. Do you think that your federal rights have been violated? Can you go into court to a federal court and ask a federal judge to enjoin Murphy? And I think under the under what we're all saying and under what this uh, Alito Kavanaugh Thomas approach to Dobbs says is, no, you can't. The Why state not? can do I'm, what it I'm wants. Lost. I'm lost. Did this append the 14th Amendment somehow? No, it just means it that appended the state's the states always had police powers, including the what we would call now regulation of public health. Now, you and I and all of us do not believe the government has a right to shove things in our body. But there's a difference between that and saying we have a legal cause of action, like like it says to go. OK, well, let me ask you a question. Let's take it further. The state of New Jersey makes a law that you can only eat once a week. What have they violated? You give me, tell me they're allowed to regulate health. What have I'm, they violated? I'm, I'm make, that's the point I'm raising too, Steve. Unless you're going to get into this substantive due process argument, I think the answer Why is, is it they substantive due process? Why isn't it simply they're violating my rights? Well, no, they, they, you, they can't take away your life. But for instance, there's a difference between every bun must drink at least one liter of water a day. There's a law to regulate public health. I, that would be hard. That would be hard. I mean, it's stupid, of course, but all laws are stupid. But uh, that would be hard to argue against because water is not harmful. But there's a, there's a line you cross at some somewhere between drinking, you know, one liter of water a day and sticking an experimental vaccine in your body. There's some line that's crossed. Uh, I, don't know, where I just they see all of it. this in the Fifth Amendment. Well, my well, well, question sticks it on the states. That's fine. Why do you need well, substantive? Well, Mike's question, though, Ed, is, and Steve, who gets to decide when that line is crossed? Does a federal judge get to decide well, it? Does my question was, who, 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 I said, who decides what those unenumerated I'm just saying, are. why is this dependent on the word substantive? It's not. Right, Anytime you, know. you force me to change what I do with my body, you're changing what I do with my life. Abortion is different because we have to decide if it's another life. Other than that, the Constitution says I could do with my life whatever I want. That's what it says. I'm reading it. Well, I don't think it says that. That's the thing. I mean, I wish, I, believe me, I wish it said that. It I says really I can't do. be deprived of life. So you're telling me if the government no, says I can. It doesn't say that. No, no, you're selectively reading. You're cherry picking. No, I'm not. Says, I'm staring at it. It says, no, it says no person shall be deprived of life, liberty or property without due process of law. Right. Due process, okay. meaning so that you can be deprived of life, liberty or due property as long as there's due process of law. Right. Meaning a there has to be a law and then there has to be some kind of judicial. What do you call it? So you're arguing, basically, Ed, that it's totally legal for the state of New Jersey to put every Jew in a concentration camp and starve them to death because but, it's up to due process. But again, say under but the original constitution, the, yes. But isn't that power yes. ultimately to the people? If there's an unjust law being passed whoa, whoa, by whoa, a state whoa, whoa, legislature. Whoa. Stop it, because I want to hear this point. Basically, we're saying, according to your understanding of the constitution, the states have a right to round people up and starve them to death. 
because under the original the law, and they found under the, the, original, under the original, constitution, original constitution there was slavery nothing changed in the fifth right. amendment about the so, fifth amendment. so when when madison says that the the powers are few and defined for the federal government but the state governments are numerous and indefinite we're saying that's that indefinite okay well whoa, whoa, whoa. go back to slavery for a minute because you're basically saying again i'm going to go back to auschwitz as long as there's a law saying Auschwitz is okay, it's okay according to the Fifth Amendment, but not the Fourteenth. The Fifth yeah, Amendment the, doesn't, doesn't apply to the states, Steve. The Fourteenth, which shoved it down, okay, didn't do anything but shove it down the states. At that point, concentration camps are illegal. And the I state, just want everybody on the record: concentration camps were were legal until the 1860s. Yes. Yeah, yeah I think the, so. The state Slavery constitutions. The state constitutions were the bulwark to protect their liberties of Correct. the peoples of the states. Right. So in certain states, they allowed slavery. And what is a plantation except a giant concentration camp for the enslaved? So, I mean, yeah, I, that's what they did. Okay, but going back to who's going to decide. So again, New Jersey says we have a food shortage now. You can eat once a week if you're a good boy. Are that's we saying right. that's what then I go to my no, no, no. That, that's an ambiguous question. We don't I don't think it's fine, but I think under the principles that are being enumerated in Alito's dissent, uh, majority opinion, I think, yes, if you don't like it, change the law or move to a state where you can get more food. That's what he's saying. Or gasoline, which is a more uh, obvious question, because yeah. back in the 70s, they did do that. They said only half the people can fill up on Mondays and the other half on Tuesdays. And of course, it's a blatant violation of everybody's rights, and I'm against it, and they were wrong. But And it was the federal government, so that it, they had no power to do that. But if the state government did that, yeah, that's it's hard to say it's illegal. It's, it's hard to say it's illegal. I mean, the, the thing is, well, you, you're asking who decides. This is, a, this is a government, it's supposed to be a government of laws and not men, but it really, it's a government of men. So the people decide by making sure they put the right people in these positions. And that's the only, right. that and revolution, which is Jefferson's well, answer, are the only thing we have. There's a difference between unwise laws and illegal laws. There are lots of laws that are very unwise that all of us would disagree with. But, but again, the, the founders also felt that if there were unjust laws, that we were within our rights to disobey them. That was, well, the Jeffer that was Jefferson's opinion. Yes. And I, I'm very sympathetic to that opinion, but he wasn't there for the Constitutional Convention. So that's, you can't say that Jefferson's opinion was the common public understanding of the Constitution. But I agree with Jefferson that that's what it should have been. It wasn't just Jefferson. You know, but Jeff, all of them, yeah, and Jefferson, Jefferson and Madison, too. were only talking about federal, resisting federal tyranny. Not one of them said anything about limiting state power. Well, so I got to tell you, I'm looking at the New Jersey Constitution, and it gives you at least as much freedom as the United States Constitution. So okay. how can you tell so, me that in the New Jersey Constitution you could have concentration camps or tell not to, because we're talking no, no, because we're talking about what the federal constitution guarantees you. You yes, of course there are state constitutional rights. Of course there are state state guarantees. So how can a we're state, talking about how can a state allow abortion if we say a fetus is a live being? 
That's not what the Supreme Court said, though. That's not what they said. The Supreme Court decision in three sentences, well, one sentence is, this isn't a judicial issue. Decide it. The legislatures get to decide. That, that's, that's the entire 120 pages. They don't take a position on whether uh, a fetus is a human being or has rights. Well, or anything. It's not even raised. I think one part of this that I do take heart in, and obviously we all believe in federalism, and we want the states to be able to decide. But we we kind of don't trust the courts with some of these questions, that they're not friends of liberty. In this case, I think they have come to the right uh, conclusion here. You know, so I, I think the whole idea of stare decisis and ruling based on precedent is, you know, a, well, bunch, of, a bunch of baloney. And I'm glad to see the court take this step in, in this situation to say, that well, there we, is a, we should not there is be a, issuing opinions sorry. based on what has been done before if those opinions were wrong. There is a stare decisis issue, for instance, with Obergefell. Now, I, I think we all agree that Obergefell was a terrible decision, had absolutely no basis in fact, history, tradition, the Constitution, or anything. But if you were going to try not to... Only, not only over- that, Ed, but it directly contradicts what the Supreme Court itself said two years earlier, in the, or three years earlier, in the Windsor decision. But let's suppose we get uh, you know, the votes to overturn Obergefell, right? Um, the problem is Obergefell has... Uh, basically given um, rights to certain groups of people, you know, gays who are now married and enjoy certain rights. The the point of stare decisis is in that sort of situation, you can't go in and like take those rights away because you can't let people sort of set up their lives in a certain way and then, and then right. you sort read, of go in and, and ruin it. Right. The, but you they, could potentially they talk about reliance they, interests, reliance right. interests. Exactly. So like everybody right before Dobbs, everybody who's had an abortion, who, who wants an abortion up till that point has already had it. And after it, they're not, you know, it, it's nobody is like there's no reliance interest in that where there would have been and there will potentially be if they were to overturn Obergefell. So that's one of the reasons why the point of stare decisis is to prevent the court from like throwing people back and forth like this in their lives. Again, Ed, um, the, the dissent in, in, uh, in Dobbs talks about, it says that there is a reliance interest, that women are relying on the availability of abortion to get educations, to have careers, to have jobs and things like that. And once again, I read that, I read that, those words and I said, what about the reliance interest I had on having my job in when you said that I had to get jabbed or lose my job? I mean, wh- where, were the, where was your consistency? Where was the reliance interest then? And suddenly it's, it appears for abortion, but it didn't appear when you're jabbing me with a shot. Well, I don't know why Sorry. they can't just say it doesn't apply to people who are currently pregnant and get, and get rid of that problem in any case, since you can't be pregnant for more than nine months. Now, I'm going to ask a different question. You know, the sure. same politicians who have been yelling that the court is basically one step away from Mount Sinai and cannot be challenged when they make a decision, these same people are now out there saying, we don't give a hoot what the court said. We're <laughs> going to do the opposite. Um, does anybody care about that? Does it make them hopelessly idiots or nobody cares anyway? Well, there's like two page footnote on all the decisions the court has uh, 
overruled itself in the past, right? I mean, it's it's like I'm this saying, is you know, a for the Schumers's and the Maxine Waters's and everybody else who, until today, were saying when the once the court says it, that's your right and that's the end of it. Yeah. Okay. It's, to say now, I prefer to, I prefer to argue with people who who have an intellectual stake. I mean, Schumer, Schumer Pelosi, and, and Maxine Waters don't have three brain cells. And second of all, together. so let's go back for one second to what is called Bruin. Is that how they pronounce the gun one? Yeah, uh, New York State New rifle York, and pistol. Right, right, I think of the New York rifle and pistol, but yeah, whatever. Okay. So going back New to York. that decision, within 24 hours of that decision, our Congress is passing laws that pretty much go directly against everything said there, everything said in Heller, and no one seems to give a hoot. New, New York has already called a special session to start in several days to make more gun laws. Nobody gives a hoot what the court says, just like states and cities didn't care what they said in Heller. So- well, this well, is Herbert Marcuse. They rule in the left's favor. Yeah, I mean, it's a Her Herbert Marcuse's idea of, of intoler uh, intolerance of uh, or tolerance of no tolerance of intolerance. I mean, uh, the heads I win, tails you lose. Well, is what great. the left has always been, and I don't know why people expect any. It's like you know, why would you expect any different? I, I mean, they're they're Marxist and they do things according to a Marxist. Well, for forget Marxists, you got John Cornyn and I believe 12 other Republican senators doing this stuff. Well, if you don't think they're sort of in that sort of dialectic mental framework themselves, um, or if they have any mental framework at all. I was going to say that. Andrew. Other than, the, you know, whatever the Washington Post and New York in Times power. tell them. And by the way, you said before that was the flaw of the Constitution. Some of us would argue that the Constitution doesn't enforce itself. And if somebody really wants to pass a law that directly contravenes the Constitution, there has to be some kind 95 percent of, of what the federal government does is unconstitutional. And over the years, the Supreme Court, I think, has ruled, you know, 100 and some odd times, maybe less, less than 200, more than 100 to overturn federal laws. And in that time, the federal government has passed thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of laws, all of which are unconstitutional with the exception of a very few. Um, and so, uh, you know, even the laws that they have a constitutional power to, uh, to write like copyright laws, the, the current copyright laws are unconstitutional from the original understanding. They, that nothing they do is unconstitutional. So it's not self-enforcing, it's enforced by the people. And how do you do that? You do that by arguing, by having podcasts, by, uh, you know, we're trying to do an illegal analysis here rather than a moral analysis. But the moral analysis is the government has no right to do anything it's doing. Yeah. Well, you the know, states we, the states were supposed to oppose it too. They were supposed yeah, to nullify, nullify were supposed laws, to, right? And that they were don't unconstitutional. Do that. But I mean, let's be honest. Uh, you know, uh, New York is much more oppressive than the federal government, and Virginia is not quite as oppressive as the federal government, and Florida is much less oppressive than the federal government. So, I mean, the states do vary that way, and Florida and Texas are winning. Uh, people, um, you know, in, in the voting by your feet. Um, and that's the only thing we have is like push things down to such a local level that people can move to where life is better and the government isn't so oppressed. But I mean, nothing the government does is, I mean, you know, we're not, we're not allowed to have a standing army. <laughs> you know, come on. We got two million men under arms. What are you talking about? We in 180 countries or something. Yeah. I mean, none of that's constitutional. So I, I don't know. I, I mean, it's not self-enforcing. The way you enforce the Constitution is by talking and arguing it 
convincing your friends and having podcasts until they shut and, it down. And changing the unconstitutional public education system. <laughs> yeah, that's not, a, that's not constitutional at all. If there's no power to do education, that whole department, Department of Energy, Department of Labor, the, the, the federal government has no power to own land. And it owns like all so you the saw the proposal. You saw the proposal out there for the government to enforce abortion rights on federal land within the states to prohibit it. You guys have all seen I this? I did see that. I did, I did see, see that. that. I didn't understand the. Now it's a little while. Well, they get. Well, you can come to a military base or come to a national park, and we will get federal doctors to give you federal abortions. Right. Yeah. Now, I, if you want a legal analysis of that, I, it, I'm going to be uh, on the one hand, on the other hand. But if you want a moral analysis of that, that's completely different. I mean, what do you think? You're the lawyer, Ed. Could the federal? I mean. I don't think the federal government has any proper role to play in health care whatsoever. So, well, I, and, and they have no, you know, I mean, again, with the Civil War thing, right? If you go before the Civil War, these, the states of the Union made what is essentially a contract with the federal government. And they said, oh, you want to build a fort here? We will basically f- freely lend you our land to build your federal fort. Hmm. We're not giving it to you because you can't have it. The federal government had no land. They had the territories, but they governed the territories. They don't own the territories. They don't own no land. So you Fort Sumter, oh, you want Fort Sumter to build a fort? That's great. You can have that, but it's only a lease. It's only a lending. You know, you're, we get it back if we want it back. And the federal government was like, okay, you know, and then they built the fort and all of a sudden uh, we want it back. And the federal government says no. Um, the federal government has no right to any land at all in the United States. Well, the, they have the, the right main... to govern the territories, govern it, but not own it. So there is no well, the, federal. The, the federal ownership. government's ownership of most of the land that it owns came from the Louisiana Purchase, which Jefferson actually didn't think was constitutional, but said, "I'm going to do it anyway." <laughs> I understand that, but I think at the time there is a difference between you know, tr- the transfer of sovereignty between France and the United States of this land for a certain amount of money and the government actually like taking fee simple title to the land. I, I, I don't think that was the case, um, but uh, again, I'm not- You don't think that the federal government got fee simple title to the Louisiana Purchase Territory? <laughs> no, they, got, they had sovereignty to it. The, the, the ability well, who- to govern when they the paid ability, that $15 million to Napoleon, who, who, who had fee simple title? I suppose nobody did. That's the thing. Or the people who are already existing, like all the people in New Orleans who were there, they had their hosts. It, it, like Virginia has the right to, or the right, the power to govern me, but I own the land. Virginia doesn't own the land. So, I mean, I think that's kind of what it was with the Louisiana Purchase. All those people in New Orleans who were French, they didn't lose title to their land. They just lost. I mean, they their allegiance switched as far as which government governed them at the time. Right. So I mean, didn't, I, they didn't just purchase New Orleans. They purchased the entire Louisiana Territory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and then right, and people and had to buy land from the government, didn't they? Uh, generally, the government gave it away or, or recognized recognized title of people who improved the land. You know, there was the Homestead Act. But they had a right not to, which means that they owned the land. 
Uh, I don't think in principle they had, uh, well, in principle they did not have that right, but I, they seized it and even Jefferson thought that it was uh, potentially unconstitutional, but he, it was too good a deal. I mean, so forget about things like Clinton saying, I'm taking a couple million acres. Yeah, none of that's constitutional. Uh, you know, in my opinion, I don't think they have any law. But uh, to the extent that you say, well, the government owns, you know, Fort Carson, Colorado, or what's a, you know, some red state, Fort Hood, Texas, and uh, we're going to provide abortions in the Fort Hood Medical Center if Texas bans abortions, I don't know how you'd argue about that in the current legal situation. I, I, I don't know what. I have a question. Are, are state police allowed on a military um, base? No. Yeah, I don't think so. So that would say that in no way is it state land. Well, you know, and again, before the Civil War, um, there's a, a fugitive slave clause in the Constitution, and then there's a fugitive slave law that was passed right. by Congress in accordance with that. But basically what it ended up doing was um, it, it, it essentially, uh, they were, they were essentially marshals, but they were bounty hunters really. And, and, the, you know, for every, uh, adjudication they made where the slave gets sent back, they got like $10. And for everyone that they said, no, this is actually a free person. They got $5. So the, the feds like, didn't, you know, it, they just skewed it very much to like, if, if it's a black person, we're going to send them into slavery and we don't really care. And so the States, like the Northern States, uh, pass the law that says, you, you know, you come do this. We're going to arrest a uh, federal agent. We are going to arrest federal agents. And they did arrest federal Correct. agents. They threw them in jail. And um, that's the kind of uh, pushback. That's, that's the kind of exactly. what, what might be called a, an insurrection nowadays that uh, on the North's part, not on the South part, on the, on the part of the North to push back against the federal fugitive slave law um, because the federal fugitive slave law was so egregious, that uh, was one of the things that, uh, you know, really created the antipathy that led to uh, the Civil War. Um, but yeah, arrest the federal, yeah, like arrest all the agents. Well, who well you know, one of that. the, we're on Liberty Block, so I have to mention the word at least once, or else I'll lose my job. One of the many arguments when you talk about secession is what about all the federal lands? And... <laughs> They don't have any federal lands as far as I'm so concerned. But remember, I, mean, I told you when last summer I went to visit my son in Tallahassee and we went to a state park somewhere a half hour, hour away, I don't remember. And in the state park, you did not need to wear a mask. But the moment you stepped one foot onto the boat, you were told very, and no uncertain terms, that you had to wear a mask because that boat was on federal land. Yeah, the Fed seized every waterway. And literally, I'm like, wait a minute, you mean here I don't have to wear a mask, and there I do, like one foot, one foot. Yep. When you're on the lake, you're on federal. I don't even know what that means. So basically, if something were to happen, a crime would be committed on that lake, then the state troopers can't even come in because we have to wait for it, the FBI. Yeah, generally, or the park rangers usually, but or the Corps of Engineers police, right? Because the Feds seized every waterway in the country. And they put it under the control of the Corps of Engineers, uh, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and or the Park Service, and or you know the Bureau of Land Management, et cetera. Um, no, it doesn't make any sense. Constitution. Do you know anybody know offhand how many federal police forces there are? Because we talk about the FBI, but obviously 
I mean, the Postal Service has one. I, I think there's 100,000 armed federal officers. PATF, this something like lots that. of them. The IRS. Oh, every department every has general. Inspector general. Inspector generals and stuff. So, yeah, they, everybody has one. You name the department, it has police. Yeah, I have a uh, mechanic caddy corner from where I work. And it shocks me some of the cars that pull up there, this police force, that police force, you know, the uh, maple tree police force and they're carrying guns. And then there's the oak tree police force. And then there's the garbage can police force. And they all got their own police force and they're all carrying weapons. Hey, more weapons to marry. Okay, any further questions on these decisions before we wrap up this special episode? Uh, well, one last thing about uh, everybody's saying that the you know there there's no right to abortion in the Constitution, so we're giving it back to the states. But there are is a right to guns, so the states can't do it. So you federalist people, you are being contradictory, and um, I think that that is the meme going around on social media. Um, but I, I you know I think in principle both are based on the idea that. You know, the Constitution says what it says and um, doesn't say what it doesn't say. And, uh, you know, I, awful I, I radical, isn't it? I, I, I know. I, words mean things. I, you know, that's all, that's all I can say. Well, I guess because if they don't mean things, then what? Well, yeah, then men can be women. Which yeah, apparently, in despite we're speaking and sometimes saying it's a battle against women and then remembering. They were not supposed to be saying it's a battle against women. What's a woman? What's a woman? <laughs> What's a woman? So we're kind of getting caught up in that, you know. Yeah. Well, Birth. And, and you know, some of the, the crazier uh... ones are using like menstruating, like AOC, I think, used menstruating people. This is an attack against mm -hmm. menstruating people. Uh, well, you saw somebody put up uterus owners today on our chat. I won't say uterus that. owners, yes. A uterus right. owner. Well, that's back people. to you. Did it, that it, title it, or sovereignty, Ed? What is that? Say that again. I'm asking you, Ed Powell, when you say uterus owner, is that mm -hmm. sovereignty or is that actual ownership? Can they sell it? I, well, again, I, you know, if the government can come and stick a needle in your arm, then you don't own it. <laughs> so. um, menstruating is obviously sexist. It should be womenstruating. Well, I've, I, I've never understood that word anyway. You know, the philosophical issue that has gone completely undecided is, you know, what is a person? Because persons are uh, mentioned in the Constitution. But, you know, the real question is, what is a person? I think we all agree we're, we're people. And I think we all agree that my cat is not a person. Although oh, you I did see that I the New York State Court but, did rule that the elephant is not a person. You saw that. Yes, I did see that. Thank <laughs> God for that one. But the, the issue is, like, you know, is a, a zygote a person, is a blastocyst a person, is an embryo a person, is a fetus a person, is a baby a person, right? And uh, no one, to my uh, knowledge, has given a, a decent answer to that. So we're all going by, like, intuition and, and you know, argument from revulsion, and things like that. I mean, it's not so much logical as, like, um, you know, or tradition or, or, or whatever, but I, I don't have a good answer to that, to be honest. Well, I, I don't I don't have a good line for that. Well, I know I you can't very... talk at a zygote as a person because that's that's crazy talk. On the other hand, if it's a nine-month fetus, I definitely think it's a person, you know. But if you ask me to divide the line, I don't 
But I think where where you have these kinds of difficult calls where it's not a clear answer, that's where reasonable people differ and you need to be able, the political system in order for a free society to continue, it needs to allow different, different people to disagree and live peacefully together. And that's what federalism is supposed to be designed to do. If the people in Mississippi wanna ban abortion and the people in New Jersey want to have abortion up to the point of the cord being cut. Uh, I think that that's what federalism is for. If, you know, they can decide personhood begins at different times. And um, I just, I think that's the, there is no one right answer, but I think that's the best answer. Well, unfortunately within that people have to either live with the tyranny of the majority or move to the state where they get their way because and I was just talking to our New Hampshire owner um, and New Hampshire, the libertarians are super split on the issue of abortion. There are some libertarians who are incredibly pro-life from a Christian point of view. And there are some libertarians to whom the most important issue is pro-choice. So it's not going to be, you know, the state gets to decide because they're going to be killing each other to decide. And somehow we're going to have to sort ourselves out to be able yeah. to live with my neighbor committing murder against something I think is alive that they think is a clump of cells. Well, I think we're in for an interesting, complicated, messy debate, right? In the days and weeks and months ahead. But of course, to state the obvious to some extent, the left, um, for lack of a better word, right, is hypocritical. These are the people who cry democracy left and right. Well, now, now we have it, okay? This is what the court has just decided, essentially, is that the people will now get to decide. But for some reason, the left really despises that idea. Right. Well, I think we've mentioned, before, we've mentioned before on this show, one of the many reasons why politicians never wanted Roe to be overturned is because they dreaded having to make any decision on this. And now sure. they're in trouble. Absolutely. Steve, your, your point about people needing to be able to live, live together when their neighbor is allegedly murdering somebody else, that, that's exactly the kind of talk that was going on in the country in the 1850s about slavery. That's why you had things like bleeding Kansas. Uh, people couldn't deal with their neighbors disagreeing with them on these issues. And uh, federalism didn't really save us. See, that's the thing. I, I it's not that federalism didn't save us. I mean, Justice Taney basically made it so that slavery had to be recognized everywhere in the country. And that, that was the problem, I think, with slavery. And that's what made the Civil War inevitable. Uh, but as long as we're trying to force our views on other people and not allowing different people to live the way they want to live, I think civil war is, is inevitable. I mean, it, I mean, and the left is talking about it. I mean, they're not calling it civil war, but there are open calls for violence right now. There've been open calls for the last couple of days. And, you know, where can that lead other than to civil war? But there's and, so, so much of a mental disconnect between like all the violences in places where abortion is going to be legal until like two weeks before the kid goes to college. You know, it, 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 it boggles the mind. It's like the people of like Alabama aren't rioting. The people are rioting in DC and New York and Los Angeles where, Again, it's they won. The, the, peop, the, the people in Alabama aren't rioting because they they won. They're going to be able to impose their restrictions, whereas the people in these places where abortion is going to be legal, 
are no longer allowed to tell people in Alabama how to live their lives. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but I, and that sort of gets, you know, before we go, I think that the one, the one thing we haven't talked about is, is the political implications of all this. The Democrats seem to think that they've got a winning issue on this. Um, I, I really don't think so. I think that when it becomes clear that abortion is still legal, especially in these uh, blue states, uh, I think that the calls for violence are going to be increasingly, um, what's the word? I, I think people, people around the country are going to reject the Democrat Party even more than they are. Uh, the Democrats are already sinking fast. And well, um, I didn't think I didn't think that Democrats had a winning issue, too. But I had forgotten how expert the Republicans are at snatching defeat out of the jaws of victory. They are. Um, They're lucky they do remind us quite often. So, yeah. Well, so, uh, you know, if they go to say that uh, if they go to start like, you know, to get into the technical issue, like an IUD kills a blastocyst, right? And, and the birth control pill, um, you know, sometimes prevents ovulation, but sometimes it, it, it prevents implantation. So it kills the zygote. So if these Republicans in states start trying to enforce a conception ban, they're, they're going to run up against Griswold because they're going to ban contraception. And then we're going to get another case about whether states can ban contraception. And I sincerely doubt that even this conservative Supreme Court is going to do that. And that's going to throw the whole thing back into controversy again. And, yeah. I, 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 and the only reason that this would even be a controversy is because the Republicans are too stupid to take the W. And, um, but they're too stupid to take the W. Yeah, yeah. I, I think this issue, there's mines in the minefield for both sides that they could e easily step on. And it's gonna be interesting to see what happens in terms of going too far one way or the other. I. I tend to think this thought just top, popped into my head too, because a lot of these states have trigger laws. I think New Jersey is one of them. And, you know, to be honest with you, maybe that was a stupid thing to do politically. If they were smart, they would have just said, well, okay, now they decided we're going to put it on the ballot and get their base motivated to come out. And they didn't really do that. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of interesting political impl implications to this. You know, I think kind of my conclusion is there really is no way to settle these issues. And since there is no way, there's two alternatives. Either we kill each other or we learn to live without controlling each other. If I'm pro-life, I'm not particularly fond of sitting back watching you kill your fetus. But mm -hmm. my choice is either to do that or to kill you. None of those are good choices. So I think I have to take the first one. Well. I mean, the, the other choice is to be silent, right? And none of these states are about to do that. Just say, right. hey, look, I have to be able to we're sit not gonna say anything. watch. I have to be able to sit back, watch you do something that I think is heinous, because the only other alternative is probably even worse. Yeah, because only 2% of Southerners own slaves, right? So it's like 98% of Southerners were too poor to own slaves or were working uh, you know, on the farms themselves. And yet the fact that the slaves, that, that somebody owned slaves was so abhorrent to 
a large fraction of the population that caused the Civil War. The only good news is now we're going to have World War III and the Second Civil War at the same time. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's always that's, a plus. That's our optimistic uh, opinion. Yeah, well, that's I, my black, black pill moment. I think, I think that the left uses violence to achieve political ends. And the left is facing a disastrous, a potentially disastrous election they're going to use violence to try and advance their cause and try and protect, save, protect their power and mm -hmm. save themselves from what's coming in November. Um, I, I firmly believe that. And, and I think that that's why they're, they're not trying to talk their base down. They're talking their base up. If anything, they're encouraging the violence. So well, I, 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 I think that now I'm obviously not advocating this. I don't advocate any violence at all. But I think the left is going to go after the Supreme Court justices. I really do. And I, I, you know, there isn't an amount of money in the world that I wouldn't be willing to, to spend to get bodyguards and security for those guys because they are going to be under and their families. Because, like, you know, did Trotsky care about the families of his political opponents? No, he did not. And that's who's running the left today. Mao Zedong and Trotsky and Lenin. Stalin. So I, I, I still think they want to replace Biden and Harris, though, and I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them use their violence against them and try and use kill two birds with one stone and blame blame MAGA for for taking those guys out. Like sabotaging yeah, his bicycle, taking off the training wheels. Well, right now it's that putting great, a bullet in his head. Great advocate of uh, of human liberty, Gavin Newsom, who's the front runner behind uh, Biden and Harris. Oh. Good luck to us all. <laughs> We're in trouble, folks. All right. We will be back Wednesday with our regular podcast. And I'm sure there'll be much more to discuss at that time, as there always is. I want to thank especially Ed Maslish for your acute legal acumen, if I used all those words correctly, and sharing sure. your knowledge and everybody else for their uh, chiming in and arguing. With that, have a wonderful day, and we will see you all Wednesday, 4 o'clock. Take care.